Welcome to another episode of the Reformation Roundtable podcast. My name is Joe Stout, and this podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Centralia, Washington. During each episode, you will hear the sermons, liturgy, discussions, and interviews from the various weekly gatherings here at Christ Covenant Church. If you would like to find out more, please visit us online at ChristCovenantCentralia.com. That's ChristCovenantCentralia.com. Please enjoy the following audio. Well, let us rise and worship the triune God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And also to you. From Psalm 142. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me, no man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge. And my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. So lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let's pray. Cause us, O Lord, to avoid the hidden snares of our enemies in the way of this present life wherein we walk, that they who persecute us may not prevail, but depart free from us at thy, com- at thy command. Wherefore we say, Glory be to the Father, our hope to whom we make our supplication. Glory be to the Son, our portion in the land of the living. Glory be to the Holy Ghost, who comforteth our spirit when in heaviness, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. And amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to look at question three in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and I'm going to try to actually print that for you each week in the bulletin as we go through this. Um, So far, we've seen that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And we've also seen that the scriptures are the only infallible guide to show us how to do this. And so here in question three, it asks this. What do the scriptures principally teach? Answer. The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. These are the two headings under which everything else in Scripture can be placed. The Scriptures teach us who God is and what God requires of us. When you are reading your Bible, these are two excellent questions to ask of just about any passage. What does this verse teach me about God? What does this verse require me to do? If you learn to answer those two questions correctly and then obey, God guarantees that you will grow. As it says in Psalm 119, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Greater understanding comes through greater obedience. And this is why theology must never be divorced from the real world and our actions in it. 
there are many things that can only be known about God through the experience of obeying him. As the psalmist says, you must taste for yourself and see that the Lord, he is good. And so the catechism is going to chart a course for us to do both of these things, to both know God and do what he requires, to believe his word and then obey it. That is the outline for the rest of the catechism. So as we'll see, questions 4 to 38 are going to focus on what we are to believe about God and Christ. And then questions 39 until the end will focus on how we are to respond to him. This is the divine order of things. First, God reveals himself, and then he commands what is good for us. First, God delivers his people from bondage and slavery, and then he gives them the law at Sinai. For the true Christian, all duty is a delight. All law is gracious, because the Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of freedom, has been given unto us in Jesus Christ. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so as you are able, let us kneel before the Lord. Father, we confess all of these sins to you in Jesus' name, and amen. amen. Let us rise for the assurance of God's pardon. The enemies of God are brought down and fallen. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is God's mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Saints of Christ's covenant church, because you have confessed your sins, holding nothing back, it is my joy to announce to you that your sins are forgiven through Christ. Thanks be to God. The sermon text this morning is from the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 1 to 4. These are the words of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you tell us that children are a reward and an inheritance from you. And so we ask on behalf of our children that you would give them and us all a true and never-ending desire to know you, to love you, and to have you for our exceeding reward. For we ask this in Jesus' name, and amen. amen. Well, this is uh, my last sermon in our series on uh, the Christian family. If you are just uh, joining us, this is a part seven as we have kind of walked through uh, the family looking at marriage, and this will be uh, my last sermon. Next week, Les is going to uh, preach on the subject of grandparents, and that will uh, kind of finish off this series. And then uh, the week after that, I am going to begin uh, the long trek with you through the Gospel of Mark. So uh, that's where we are going with uh, the sermon series. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to consider the duties of children. So we talked about the duties of husbands, the duties of wives. I don't know about you, but you know God has been giving us lots of spankings and, and reminders. And today, uh, the children get theirs, okay? Uh, so we're going to talk about the duties of children. Mom and dad have been spanked enough for, for the last six weeks. Okay, we'll see. Um, so, so this morning, we're going to answer the question, what does God require of children as children? Last week, we saw in Psalm 127 and 128 that children are a blessing from the Lord. And uh, does anyone remember the two uh, images or illustrations that we looked at that are the kind of analogies or metaphors for what children are like? 
Does anyone remember? Olive trees. So that was one of them, olive trees. And what was the other one? Arrows. Very good. So uh, Psalm 127.4 says, children are like arrows, and specifically sons uh, are like arrows in the hands of a mighty man. And then Psalm 128.3 says, uh, children are like olive plants around uh, the table. So um, if you are a child, if you are underage, you should want to be at least these two things. You should want to be a sharp arrow. You should want to be a fruitful tree, Uh, meaning you should want to be dangerous to the enemies of God, and you should want to be a pleasant person to be around, to be stable, fruitful, full of the Holy Spirit your entire life. That is what God wants you as a child to want. And here in Ephesians 6, he tells you how to become that. So let's walk through these verses together and see what the Lord will teach us. So starting in verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Here, the Apostle Paul is addressing children who are still under their parents' authority. It's important to remember that although we are all somebody's son or daughter, The time in which we owe obedience to our parents is limited by God. For example, when a man and a woman get married, Jesus says, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Matthew 19.5 Many marriages struggle or get off on the wrong foot because this doesn't happen. Because either husband or wife or both never really leave their father and mother, or they continue to be unhealthily, emotionally, or financially attached. And thus, the cleaving and weaving of a new life together is forever frustrated. So it's important that you know this this is addressed to those who are underage. Once you're married, this is no no longer applying to you. We'll talk later about the honor that we owe to our parents when we are adults. But we have to remember there must be a real cutting of the umbilical cord that happens when children come of age. And this command to obey your parents applies to children who are still in the home. That's who Paul is addressing. So what what is the command here? The command is pretty straightforward and clear. It's obey. Obey. Children are required by God to obey their parents in the Lord. And this little phrase, in the Lord, is a reminder that parental authority is not absolute. No authority is absolute except God's. So what this means is, uh, children, if your parents ever command you to sin, you must not obey them. It says in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. And this applies to you children as well. So children, if your mom or dad ever tells you uh, to steal or to lie, or to do something that God says is wrong, God says you must not obey them. You must not sin. The most important thing for us to do as Christians is just always obey God no matter what. Always obey God no matter what. Now, uh, this doesn't mean that you will always like what your parents tell you to do. But as long as they are not commanding you to sin, you must cheerfully obey them because that is how you obey God. And God only ever commands you to do things that are good for you. It might not seem good to you in the moment, and that is where you have to trust God and trust your parents, that they know far better than you what you need. 
We all know this when we are grown, but when we're young, we don't actually know what is good for us, right? We need someone else to tell us. We think we can live off of Cheetos and chocolate and soda pop. And so God has put parents who are hopefully wiser and more experienced to teach us what God says is good for us. That is the role God has assigned to parents. So children, God wants you to obey your parents in the Lord. And if you want to know the reason why, well, he's going to give you a reason. And the first reason is because it is right. Now, uh, what does it mean for something to be right? Well, uh, you know what it means to be fair, right? You, you play a game and someone cheats, that's unfair. God is saying it is fair, it is just, it is right for you to obey your parents. Um, imagine for a moment that your mom says, uh, if you clean your room, uh, you can then watch a movie, you can eat popcorn and have some ice cream, right? That's the deal. So you diligently, cheerfully clean up your room, and then you come downstairs to watch your movie, and mom says, um, you know, actually, all of us are going to watch a movie and eat ice cream and eat popcorn, uh, but you need to go clean everyone else's room, uh, scrub the toilets, take out the trash, and then go straight to bed without dinner. How would you feel? <laughs> would that make you happy? Or would that be unfair? Right? That would feel very unfair. Or uh, perhaps you're older and uh, your dad says, hey, you know, I'll give you 20 bucks if you go mow the lawn. So you go mow the lawn, you miss no spots in the lawn, and then you go to your dad for the 20 bucks and he says, uh, you know, actually, you need to pay me 20 bucks <laughs> for the pleasure of mowing my lawn, right? How would you feel? <laughs> you might feel like Les's son, <laughs> right? That, that would feel unfair. And so think about, think about how mad that would make you if that was you. Well, this is what God is saying. He's saying that when you disobey, you are being like your parents in this scenario, right? You're being like the unfair parent who commands something and then takes it back, right? And so God is saying, when you obey, you're just doing what is fair. Why is it fair for uh, you to owe obedience to your parents? Well, because you would not be here without them. You would not exist without them. You would not be alive today if your parents hadn't given you uh, free food, free clothes, free diaper changes, a free education, and a free place to live, right? <laughs> you paid for none of that. Everything you have and are is a gift from God through your parents. And because of that, God says you owe them obedience. That is what is fair for you to do. So that's the first reason children are to obey, because it's fair, it's just, it's the right thing to do. But God has also given us other reasons to obey that we might say are a lot more uh, fun. This is verses two and three. It says, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. So here's the second reason to obey your parents, so that you will live for a long time. Proverbs 3 says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. When you obey God by obeying your parents, God promises to reward you, to bless you. And this is especially true when your parents command you to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to follow Jesus. 
When your parents command you to confess your sins and ask forgiveness, God is going to answer and bless that. Who are the people who are happiest and live the longest? Well, they are the people who love and serve God. This is what you were created to do, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, as we learned in the catechism. And parents are given to you from God to teach you how to do this. So children, if you want to live forever, if you want to never die, then you need to follow the Lord. And if you do that, you will live forever in the happy place with God. Obey your parents, do what they tell you to do, and do it cheerfully. And God, who sees into your heart and into your mind, will richly reward you. Paul says this is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments with a promise. This is a promise that you can hold on to, meaning God is going to keep his word. Now, this is a great responsibility that parents have preparing children for eternity, right? What could be a more important and weighty task than that? And so God gives also a specific command to fathers. So this is verse four. It says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Just as children are required to obey their parents, so also parents are required to obey God. Colossians 3 reinforces this same theme. It says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Whenever God commands children to obey, he likes to tag on this reminder for fathers as well. And this is because children are walking mirrors. Children are walking mirrors, and often their sins, their disobedience, is a standing rebuke to our own. If you remember our sermon on the duties of husbands, we saw that the husband as head is responsible for his wife. And the same thing is true for our children as well. When our child sins, that is our responsibility. It is our duty to deal with it as God commands. This is how Joshua could say with conviction, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you say that? Do you say that? Our children's spiritual state is our responsibility. And God has commanded us to raise them, here it says, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In other words, we are required by God to raise Christian children, godly offspring who know and love him. There is not a more important task for parents than this. If you want to be a righteous father, you must start to think like righteous Job, who offered sacrifices to God on behalf of even his grown children. Listen to what Job 1, 4-6 says. It says, And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so when their days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Think about that. Fathers take responsibility for the sins their children might have committed. This is what Job does. 
He rises up early in the morning and he seeks mercy from God on their behalf. And when it comes to discipline, Paul commands fathers here to be on guard against anger, to be emotionally self-controlled and loving, and to not set our children up for sin and frustration. Fathers, like the Lord Jesus, must not break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax. We must not harm and discourage the souls of our children by being over-harsh and unreasonable with them. This is because we, as fathers, more than anyone else, get to show our children what God is like. Of all the people in the world, the father is the single most influential person on a child's understanding and relationship to God. And that is for good or for ill. Fathers, who Ephesians says, derive their name from God the Father, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, have this sacred task of revealing to our children the character of God. So we must ask ourselves, who is the God we are portraying for our children? Is it the true God or is it an idol? Do you image the true God to your children who is in himself essentially love, goodness, and wisdom, who abounds in mercy and is quick to forgive? Or do you image the pagan gods who are capricious, unstable, ready to strike down anyone who offends them? What kind of God are you portraying for your children? Whether we like it or not, we are walking metaphors to our children for what God is like. We are always teaching them. So fathers, if you have failed and when you fail in this, are you quick to repent? Are you quick to make things right with them? Have you apologized to your children for the ways you have provoked them to wrath? Have you sought their forgiveness without any excuses? This is what godly fatherhood looks like. This is what Paul commands. If your child never repents, it might be because you have never shown them how. If your child never comes to you seeking forgiveness, perhaps it is because they have never seen you do it. Remember the God you serve. We serve a God who is not surprised by our sin. He knows far better than we how wicked we are, and yet that same God has so loved us that he gave Christ to die for us. So why would you not go to him? Why would you not go to your father who loves to forgive, who loves to give you help and guidance? He is just bursting to give it to you. That is the character of our father, and that is the character we must image to our children. This is where faithful fatherhood starts. It starts with knowing the true character of God, that he is more ready to forgive than we are to seek forgiveness. Look at the cross. Jesus says in John 15, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. There is no greater love than Christ's death for sinners. And you are made friends of Christ when you receive that love and do what he commands. And this goes for children as well. Right? When children are baptized, they become your brother and sister in the Lord. They who trust in Christ are friends of Christ together with you. Look at the Lord Jesus. It says in Hebrews 5.8 that even Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. 
That is our example. That is the example for children. That is the example for parents as well. So when both parents and children obey God, we do so in the footsteps of Christ. We deny ourselves. We deny our selfish desires. We take up our cross and follow him. That is what it means to be a Christian. That is what it means to have a Christian household. Finally, I want to consider the honor that we owe our parents when we are no longer under their authority. So what does God command uh, you know, grown parents, uh, uh, grown children when they uh, are old? There are three basic elements to the fifth commandment. So fifth commandment, honor thy father and mother. And uh, there are three elements. The first is that you must reverence them as your elders and superiors. You must give them honor for no other reason than that they were here before you. Listen to Leviticus 19.32. It says, You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. Think about the logic of this commandment. The logic is that we are to honor those who existed before us. And since God was here before any of us, he is the ancient of days, he deserves supreme honor, supreme reverence, and all our worship. And so by honoring our elders at all stages of life, we are being taught to honor the Lord who was here first. The second element of the fifth command is what we already saw earlier, namely a child's obedience to his parents. We said this is limited until the time he comes of age. And then here, the third element is the answer to our question. So what happens when parents become old and weak, when they, like children, are no longer able to take care of themselves? Well, at this stage, the fifth commandment requires us, it gives us the glorious task of repaying our parents for the years of sustenance and care they once gave to us. So honor here in this sense means material sustenance, food, provision, place to live, help in old age. The biblical ideal is for parents to save and store up an inheritance that is large enough to cover their needs when they are no longer able to work. And, you know, to translate into modern times, this might be something like you know, a retirement fund. Uh, Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12.14, For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. So it's our duty as parents to plan for the future, to be saving for that day when we are too old to work. And it is the children's duty, once they are grown, to be planning for this as well. This is what it means to honor thy father and mother when you are grown. Failing to do this is a serious sin, and it is one that Jesus speaks forcefully about. He says to the Pharisees in Mark 7 this, he says, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. So the Pharisees had created a kind of financial scheme that amounted to them robbing widows' houses, 
plundering, stealing the money that was due to fathers and mothers. By calling it korban, uh, they created this kind of religious loophole that prevented it being used for the purpose God intended. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees that you deserve the death penalty for this. He's saying the Pharisees deserve to die for enforcing this man-made tradition. If the law says cursing your father and mother is a capital crime, how much more not caring for them in old age? Now, as in Jesus' day, there are many hurdles to honoring our father and mother when they are old. As a nation, we have decided by and large to abdicate this duty to the government. And so we have a social security and Medicare. We have a corrupt healthcare industry with perverse incentives. We have a tax system that rewards spending and punishes saving. It encourages debt. Proverbs says the borrower is slave to the lender. And how many, how many trillions of dollars is the U.S. in debt? Right, 31 trillion. What does that say about our freedom? We are enslaved to modern day Pharisees, but that does not excuse us from obeying the fifth command. We are enslaved to modern day Pharisees, but that does not excuse us from obeying the fifth command. It just means it's going to be a lot harder for us to do. So God calls us to this, and what He calls us to, He supplies. God calls us to honor our father and mother by caring for them in old age, just like they cared for us when we were young. And just as parenting is a great sacrifice, so also caring for ailing parents can be a great sacrifice as well. But when we honor our parents this way, we are just doing what is fair. We are just doing what is right. And we are honoring the Lord. Now, uh, a whole lot more could be said about this. And every situation requires great wisdom. So if you have specific questions about this, please uh, do ask me, send me an email. Uh, but wisdom can be had, a lot of wisdom can be had, if you just remember and apply the golden rule. Do unto your parents as you would have your children do unto you. How would you like to be taken care of when you are approaching death? Who do you want to be around in your latter years? Do you want to be in a you know, hospital setting with all strangers who don't actually know you? Or do you want to be surrounded by children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren? Think about this. Treat your parents like you hope to be treated one day. Your children are watching they hear how you speak about their grandma and grandpa, and they see how you care for them or don't. And that is the lesson that is going to stick with them. How did my parents treat their parents? Did they honor them or did they dishonor them? Do unto your parents as you would have your children do unto you. I'll close with this. Proverbs 30, 11 to 12 says, There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. We are that generation, okay? We think we are so pure, so smart, so better than anyone else, and yet we are not washed from our filthiness. We are a generation that curses father and does not bless our mother. Our generation is a generation devoid of honor. 
There is enmity and strife and bitterness between many parents and children, both blaming and seeing only the faults in one another. And this enmity is what Christ has come to bring an end to. He has come, as Malachi 4 says, to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And so parents, turn your hearts to your children. Turn your hearts to your own parents. Love them and honor them as God commands. And he promises that it will be well with you. You will live forever in the new heavens and new earth with innumerable saints and Christ in all of his glory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, you know what we are living through. You know the sin that is um, in our hearts, in our culture, in our laws. And God, we ask for mercy. We ask that you would bring us as a nation to a full and complete repentance, to make confession that you are Lord. And God, that you would please turn, soften the hearts of children who are bitter towards their parents and parents who are bitter towards their children. God, will you bring repentance? Will you bring forgiveness? Will you bring healing to these relationships? We ask this in Jesus' name, and amen. Amen. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus poses a question for us, a question that is meant to challenge what we think about God. He says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What kind of father do you imagine God to be? Is he stingy? Is he tight-fisted, dour, and always scowling? Or is he joyful? Is he generous? better than all earthly fathers, who Jesus calls evil by comparison. Sinners are always prone to make God less good than he is. That was the original lie of the devil in the garden. But here at this table is the truth. The truth that God is good and God gives the best gifts. Here is bread, the body of Christ for you. Here is wine, the flowing love of Christ's blood. Here we partake and receive God's Holy Spirit. So come, come and welcome to Jesus Christ. The charge is this. Honor begins with gratitude. And so if you want to turn your heart to your parents or your children, begin by thanking God for, God for them. Of course, there are many ways they might have failed us or even sinned grievously against us. But the Christian heart sees the good and thanks God for it. None of us would be here without them. Receive now the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.